Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm your co-host, Mikkel. And I'm Bill. And today we've got Corey Reese on the show with us. Um, before we get started with Corey, Bill, I just, well, maybe I'll ask both of you. I've been thinking about what it must feel like to be a white European patriarchal male who struggles with opposite sex attraction, who's got super cushy running shoes and custom orthotics. Can you just maybe walk me through like a day in your life? I, I don't understand it. Yeah, you, you said the cushy shoes because I told you to walk a mile in those shoes. These are like you forgot white privilege too. Yeah. I mean, I just assumed that people would know that all of that is enmeshed and entangled together. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's almost a burden, really. It's difficult. That's, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, be honest. I mean, how many safe spaces are there out there for white, for white males? I don't find too many myself. No, no. Which is the reason, Corey, I was going to check with you. It's the reason we've started, we wanted to start a new club. We actually have a, a fundraiser. This is a GoFundMe that's up. And <laughs> what we're trying to do is we want to create a club where alpha males can connect. <laughs> because honestly, there's just not enough safe spaces for, for alpha males. Especially those um, who suffer with opposite sex attraction. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to, when you struggle with opposite sex attraction. I've, I've always wondered my whole life what it would be like to live with same-sex attraction, but unfortunately, I struggle with opposite-sex attraction, and it's, so it's a burden. It is. It's difficult. Um, you know, we're being we're being sarcastic, obviously, but there is a sense that we, as a culture, don't really realize the white privilege. We don't realize the, especially white males. We got it easy, don't we? Um, yes, we don't have too much to complain about. No, no. The the running shoe. You talked about these orthotic shoes. What kind of shoes are you wearing, Corey? Right now, I don't have any shoes on, but I usually run. I like some ultra shoes that um, they just fit well with my feet. So, yeah, that's what I use during the day and while I'm running. Yeah, you're a runner. Uh, Mikhail, tell us, like, we've got we've got this guy on here. Why did you pick Corey? What makes him so special? Because Corey is just one of those people that you could talk to about anything. And he just has this way of making you feel comfortable. He has a way of making you feel safe. He's funny. He's got great hair. <laughs> How could you not? That's, could an you not have... That's an important thing for you, Mikel, is great hair. <laughs> it is. And squishy earlobes. So <laughs> Squishy earlobes. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> so we've been saying several times here on the podcast, Mikel, we've talked about this guy we know who did this insane thing where he runs 300 and was it 14 or 17 miles? Uh, 14. 314 miles and you did it in eight days. Yep. To me, this is insane. Like... I guess I want the audience to hear, like, a marathon is what, 26 point something? Yeah, 26.2. 26.2. And you ran more than 26.2 on average for more than eight days. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Talk, talk about, like, who does that and, and why? why does somebody do that? <laughs> Those are hard questions to answer. The, the, the people that I did it with are just 
totally normal people in everyday life. One guy that I spent a lot of time with was a NASA scientist. Um, just, I mean, teachers, uh, audiologists, just average normal people that want to kind of test, test their limits and test their boundaries. And then when they reach those limits, see if it's possible to push a little farther. So, um, yeah, it's a race across Tennessee. Um, it actually crosses through five states, but mostly Tennessee and just goes all the way across the state. And we were given a, a map of the route that we had to take and you have 10 days or less to do it. So there was no, no aid stations, no crew following along to make sure we were okay. We just had to carry everything that we would need for that whole time. And, and then we just stopped at like gas stations and <laughs> fast food restaurants for food and water along the way. Sleep when you need to sleep, move when you can move. What, what was the furthest you'd ever run had, had ever done something like that prior to this thing? I've been building up to this for quite a few years. I mean, I didn't know over the past few years that this is what I was building up to. But for quite a few years, I've done, I started out doing a couple half marathons and then builded to, built to marathons and, and then just kind of grew from there. So for the last few years, I've been doing 100 mile runs and, and got to a point where I knew kind of what to expect with that distance. Not that it's ever easy. A hundred miles is always really hard, but I at least knew how to train and what to expect. So uh, a couple of years ago, I ran this 72 hour race where it was on a one mile loop and you just do as many miles as you can in that 72 hours. And so I got up to 205 miles. Holy but, shit. But that was like kind of, I mean, obviously a totally different, um, situation, a different environment. So that was the farthest that I had run before this point. Corey, you, you said that you, um, when starting this 314 mile race, that, that people, um, they go to their limit and then they, they push a little bit beyond that to see if they can have a new limit. So one, what makes a person want to push their limits? And two, once you get to your limit, how do you know you can go beyond that? Um, I think I think it's just I don't know if it has to do with running itself like I I finished I remember training for my first half marathon and I got up to 6 miles and I'm like oh my gosh I I am incredible like I just ran 6 miles that is insane to me that a human body can go 6 miles and then it's just like well okay maybe Maybe I can go seven. And so I think maybe it's just a, um, it just kind of gets into your blood with running where you just want to see, see what's next. I don't, I don't think it's anything special innate to me where, where I want to test my limits. I think it's, I think probably all of us have that inside of us. I mean, you, you get kind of comfortable with your job after a while and you think, okay, maybe I want to, test I want to push myself and see see if there's something beyond what I'm doing now or I don't know maybe in a in a relationship you you kind of get comfortable and and know what to expect and so it's good to kind of grow and and do something different so I think that's part of what makes me want to push my limits when you get to that limit um I think that's really where the growth 
happens because you reach a point where it's like, I, I just, I, I can't go any farther. And so you either drop out or you keep going. And if, if you can push yourself to keep going, that's, that's when change happens. I've done both of those. I've, I've come to what I really felt like was my limit and just felt like I, I really can't go on any farther. And I've dropped out of races. And then I've also had lots of times where I get to that point and I think, okay, I need to not think about the fact that I still have 60 miles to go, or I still have 200 miles to go. I just need to focus on this, this mile that I'm in right now. Hmm. I, I need to not stress out about the future because that is just downright depressing when you realize, oh my gosh, sure. I'm, I've still got like six days out here. Oh. I'm my my skin is melting. I'm so hot. I'm so tired. If you think about the fact that you've still got six days, that'll make yeah, you start crying. Easy. Right, right. Um, you you said, Corey, and this was super interesting to me, that um, you didn't feel like this ability to push beyond your limits was something that was that's an innate that you f- you don't feel like this is anything special but i think in looking at people in general i think that that has to be something that either you have some sort of innate ability and then you cultivate it because looking around at people in general i don't see many people running 314 miles or even 6 sure there's there's you know runners and people that do awesome things but in general in my experience, I don't see people that are cultivating that ability to push their limits. Maybe, yeah, I, I see that side of it. Maybe it is something that's innate in all of us, and we we don't utilize it. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, we're talking about being. You know, the podcast is about being awakened, and you're and you're hitting on this idea of being present in your running. Like your body's telling you, "There's no way in hell I'm doing six more days of this." Maybe talk for a moment, like what's your practice in those moments to be present? How do you, how do you not go like, all right, I just, I, I, my body's done. My body's hit a wall. There's, there's six days left. This is useless. And instead you're focusing on like, I'm going to run 10 more minutes and then I'll revisit this. Or I'm going to, I'm just going to run for, for the next 30 seconds. And I'm just going to take this 30 seconds at a time. Like what's your practice in the middle of doing that? What, what I do kind of going into it, I just, I just try to embrace the idea that it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt. There's going to be some suffering involved. And I just, I just go into it knowing and expecting that so that when it comes, it's like, okay, well, I I knew it was coming. It's not, it's not a surprise. It's not a problem. I can work through this. So there's that preparation side of it, just knowing, okay, it's going to be hard, but that's okay. That's, that's why I signed up for this. That's why I, that's why I wanted to do the race in the first place was to get to the point where it gets hard and then to push myself when I'm in the moment, the, the little tricks I do. Um, I think in the moment it's important to stay positive and smile. Your skin's <laughs> melting off for you. Right. You've got these huge ass blisters on your feet and you're, <laughs> you're smiling. Well, <laughs> the thing is sometimes you don't, really feel that smile but when you're smiling it it releases endorphins i'm a social worker and i I took all these psychology and social work classes and 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 research shows that just the act of smiling releases endorphins that help you feel better and so even if you're sometimes faking it 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 helps and and if you on the 
on the other side, if you just are feeling sorry for yourself and and complaining and whining and focusing on all the negative things, it it just makes it so much harder. So I think staying positive is important. Granted, sometimes that's easier than other times. So that's one of one thing. The other things that I do, I try to avoid catastrophic thinking. So, oh, man. so I fall into that really easily. I mean, that's so normal in everyday life. But with running, the way it shows up is like, oh, I've, I've got this big blister. It's hurting so bad. I, I, it's so hot out here. How am I going to how am I going to keep going? Like if I keep doing this, the blisters are just going to get worse. I'm only going to get more tired. I'm only going to get slower. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to run any faster. Sure. And it just like tumbles, spirals. it spirals down. So that catastrophic thinking, it's, it's so destructive in running and in life. So I, I really try to catch when I, when I start getting into that and just stop it right away. We were talking about this last night, Corey, in a different way. We were talking about like this idea of being in the past or in the future, right? That's all ego-based. We're, we're telling ourselves these stories of who we are and what all these things mean. And we were talking last night in Mikkel's kitchen. There's the, the six of us there chatting. And three of us were saying like, no, let's just live in this present moment. Let's just enjoy it. And the other three are like, I struggle so deeply with this. I'm so worried about the future. And you and I were talking last night as we were talking about this subject, and I said, you know, there's if we sweat, if we worry about, if we think about the million possibilities that are out there in the future of how this could all go south, most of those don't happen. In other words, you worried about how bad your blisters were getting and how slow you were going to get. And in the end, all of that worrying didn't matter on that end because you finished the race and you're okay today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are, you, are, are your toenails gone? Did they fall off? I didn't lose any toenails. My what? blisters are still healing. They're, they're still healing. Shit. So, so you said t- talk about staying staying present in the moment. Yeah, talk about yeah, talk about staying present. Talk about maybe what are again maybe with running or even with just life in general. What are your what are your how how does that come easy for you? It comes easy for me. It comes easy for for Kelsey a little easier. Whereas Amanda, my wife, Mel, your wife, and Mikkel, no, not so easy, right? No. What makes this all different that way? I I think I've I've gotten better at that. I think it helps to practice that. I I don't feel like I was always that way, and I still have my struggles. It it still pops up where I just notice myself dwelling in something in the past or worrying about something in the future, it's so easy for the mind to just naturally go there. I think I've gotten better at recognizing when that happens and then pulling myself back. The way that I've done that, I mean, really, I've noticed it most in the last year, just reading a couple books like The Untethered Soul, um, The Power of Now, those books were just light bulb moments for me. They, They made me think about staying in the present in different ways than I had ever thought about before. And then I've gotten into a little bit of meditation. I'm still such a rookie with that. I'm, I still have so much to learn, but I've touched it enough to know that there's power there. So I think those are some of the things that have helped me to stay more present and not get focused on past or future. What works for you guys? So last night when um, you guys were over, I had a moment where I uh, was spiraling and it was in regards to you and Kelsey Kelsey were talking about death and um, it just, it still just pisses me off. I I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. 
because of because it's so unknown and I crave certainty. I crave at least having some idea of what's going to happen after we go. And part of that is because I love Kelsey so much. I just, I don't want to have this existence be over and not have her, you know, in after being dead. We we were talking, I got angry, I got upset. And so I, I left, you and Kelsey were outside um, laying on the grass, looking at the stars and it just pissed me off. And I came in the house and was crying. I was so upset. And, um, I had, you know, I remembered you and Bill talking about staying in the present moment and that it does no good to worry about the past or the future. And so I did, I had to stop myself and, and tell myself like, why am I thinking about something when all my friends are out, you know, they're out in the kitchen having a great time and I'm in here pouting and being sad. That's not what I wanted. I wanted to be with my friends and laughing and having a good time. And so I think that what you said is super key. We have to we have to catch ourselves in those moments and pull ourselves out. And it, it really can happen that fast, which is so crazy and, and so important to remember. This happened just a few days ago. I, I can't remember if we, we if we told you this. We went out, me, me and Mel were running, and we ran like two miles, and it, it was hot and hard. And Mel came home, and she was feeling so discouraged, like, I I was so slow, I was so tired, and and she just was feeling so down on herself and and she just just kept going deeper and deeper into feeling sorry for herself and feeling bad and i said okay wait how many people do you know that can't go run 2 miles she's like well a lot of people can't go run 2 miles okay how many of your patients would kill to be able to go run 2 miles she's like well yeah some of my patients don't even have a leg like so so right now you were able to do that. You were able to go outside, run two miles in the fresh air. We got to spend time together. She's like, oh, that that's right. Okay. I have a lot to be thankful for right now. And it was just such a fast shift. So it can, it can happen really fast if we just recognize it. And we're willing to make that shift instead of staying stuck in feeling sorry for ourselves. Like sometimes right. I think we just like that feeling of, feeling sorry for ourselves, which is so dumb, but we, we like it. We just we do. want to stay stuck in it. The other interesting thing, Corey, is, is that for me, um, in regards to last night, um, I, it was it, like two choices were present in front of me. I could keep feeling sad and being miserable and, and try and suck other people into that with me, or I could go and have fun and stop wasting my time and my energy on worrying about other things. And so you get to choose where you're going to invest your energy. Somebody recently said that we treat the present like it's the past. In other words, in our present moment, all we're worried about is getting to the next present moment, right? We want to we want to get to that thing that we want to do. Like, we're oh, tomorrow's a party. I can't wait till tomorrow. Oh, I've got to get this done. Or how's that going to work out? And what we end up doing is we end up just wasting the moments we're in because we're somewhere else. And as you pointed out, you could have gone inside and just uh, continued to spiral out of control and essentially had the whole night be ruined, or you could rejoin the present moment and enjoy it because it's right there in front of you anyway. Yeah, it was much better. Like the night was much better making that choice. So much fun last night. I was impressed with how quickly you shifted that. It's it's a practice. Like you said, I, I, you know, I never used to be good at it. It used to be me spiraling down and I'd stay stuck there for days or sometimes weeks or even longer. And part of it is Bill helping me see 
um, the unhealthy, you know, coping mechanisms and unhealthy behavior. And then a lot of it has just been me making a conscious choice and choosing where to invest my energy. And I, you know, because we only have this life, as far as I know, and because I only have what's in front of me right now, I'm going to choose to be right here right now as much as I can. And and like you've said, you know, I'm we all mess up and sometimes I'm really good at it and sometimes I'm really shitty. I uh, I wanted to make sure I got in during this conversation. You had mentioned a little bit ago, Corey, that you're involved in social work. And to set running aside for a moment, when I think of what people see in that line of work, all the, the dysfunction, I, I work at a pawn shop, I'm a pawnbroker, and I see a lot of people in our society who are really struggling, mental illness, I see people who have drug addictions, I see people who are struggling to parent children in healthy ways. Um, and as I sit back and watch it, I only have to watch it for a few minutes and then it leaves. But in your line of work, you're dealing with that dysfunction face-to-face. Maybe talk for a moment about what's what goes on in your line of work and, and what you see, and, and more importantly, maybe how you deal with seeing that dysfunction up close. And Corey, I'm interested in how you got interested in social work. Like what what kind of led you to choose that as a career? That's a good question. I think, I don't know how deep you want to get into this. I think it probably clicked when I was pretty young. So my my dad committed suicide when I was 14. And so I went to, I remember going to a counselor maybe twice, maybe once, maybe twice, I can't remember. And I never really felt like it was that helpful. I, I didn't I didn't feel like I got much out of it, probably because I had no idea what I was supposed to be getting out of it. or I don't know. I mean, I was young. so. Um, but as time went on and I got older, I, I thought that could be pretty, pretty powerful to help people when they're in those really dark places. And so I just kind of got that idea in my mind and um, started working at a teen treatment facility, which I loved. I, I really loved working with the, those kids. And now I'm doing... Um, medical social work, and I think it gives me an advantage to to have been through some of that stuff. Not that I would ever want to do it again, but it I think it made me more compassionate, um, maybe more understanding of of the struggles that people go through. So in a normal day, I I see people facing really huge health issues that I just can't imagine going through myself. I see people working through depression and anxiety and and financial stuff because they're not able to work anymore. Problems with paying for their medications. Gosh, I just admire these people. I work at dialysis centers and I just admire these people so much because it's such a huge life change to have to be doing these treatments every other day for the rest of their lives. So, um, I mean, yeah, that's my day is just spending time with these people all day in, in terms of like staying positive. Cause I, I think you're a positive guy. I see you always smiling. You always seem happy. You always seem, uh, as you pointed out earlier, being trying to be present in the moment. How do you, when you, you know, you, you end the work day, you've seen a bunch of things that on one level or, or another, you, you, you see the struggle of humanity. You, you see people uh, having a hard time trying to just day to day survival how do you kind of put that behind you and then go home and, and maintain your positivity? What's worked for me, gosh, it keeps going back to 
the being present thing. So when I'm at work, I, I'm pretty good about like, I, I don't read my texts from my kids. I don't, I don't usually answer calls from them. I kind of put my phone aside and I, I try to just really be present at work. I try to be there for my patients. I try to get everything done that I need to at work. I want, I want to, I want to be there. I want to do what I need to do there. And then when I leave, I, I try to just leave, leave it all there. I, I leave it in my office, get in my car, go home. And then when I'm home, I try to be really present there. I, I try to not get on my work email and, and, um, work on work stuff at home unless it's something that's really urgent. But, but that has come with practice. It, it wasn't always like that for me, but it works for me to just really focus on what I'm doing and not, not let those distractions get in the way of stuff. So if I'm home, I try to be really present at home. If I'm at work, I try to be really present at work and, and I'd really try as much as possible to just leave it there once, once I leave work. I love that. I love, um, I love that because I'm on my phone a lot, whether it's at home, you know, doing work stuff or checking in with friends or, you know, doing any number of things. Um, so it's, I, I love that idea of just kind of putting that away and being present in the moment, um, and giving that attention to your time, you know, to, and time to your wife and family. That's cool. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't at all want to make it sound like I have this figured out and I am sure. so perfect at it all the time. I, I know what I need to do. Sometimes I'm better at it than others. Sure. I work at it. So Corey, um, this is kind of a, an unrelated question, but what would you say your most dateable quality is? <laughs> Besides the hair. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, most dateable quality. Um, I feel like I'm pretty compassionate and caring and, um, I would say I'm not at all judgmental, pretty accepting and, and try to love people for who they are and where they are. So, uh, I guess if I had to choose something, (laughs) not your eyes or your smile, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Bill, what's your most dateable quality? Uh, I don't know that I have any good dateable qualities. <laughs> uh, man, that's a tough question because nobody. You're asking you're asking a human being to kind of brag about themselves a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I don't think we do enough. And, and of I that. love when other people share their things because it lets you get to know them better. But man, it, it's kind of a struggle to share. I don't know. You go first. What's your most dateable quality? Uh, I'm fun. You're fun. You are fun. Um, that is true. Uh, man, what do I got? You tell me. What's my most dateable quality? No, I'm asking you, Bill. Uh, Ooh, snap. <laughs> so I, I'm going to steal what, some of what Corey said, which is I don't perceive myself really as judgmental. I People can have their shadows and stuff in front of me, and I, I actually enjoy messy humans. I, I like the fact when yeah. humans are being vulnerable. And so I think I think generally people perceive me as a safe space to just be themselves. But I would agree. Okay. I agree. There we go. That's it then. On a scale of one to 10. <laughs> on a scale of one to 10. How weird are you? Corey, how weird are you? I'm not going to answer that. Corey, how weird are you? <laughs> I would, I would say I'm a strong eight. Oh dude, me too. Uh, one to 10, 10 being really weird. You guys are eights. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I, I think, okay. 
Bill, I think if you're not going to admit that, you're probably a 10. Dang it. I don't, so I don't, I don't perceive myself as an odd, as an oddball. Um, but, but the other day, I mean, I'm at my house, you're at my house, Mikkel, and I am, my daughter's going to pick up pizza, right? And I'm, and oh, yeah. I'm blowing up on the phone with her because the pizza people are telling her that she's at the wrong address. And so you, you grab fun. your keys and you're like, let's go. And so I, I get out in the car and I sit in the passenger seat. And you're and you're like doing shadow work with me on the way to pick up Little Caesar's pizza, <laughs> and I realize like, damn, I have these shadows and mechanisms that make me kind of an asshole at times. And so or yes, or weird. And so yeah, there's more there than I want to admit. It's okay, Bill. We still love you. We still love good, you. Good, good. Well, Bill, I was having a hard time waking up this morning. You know how it goes. You stay up too late partying or hanging out with friends. And then you've got to get up early to record a podcast. So what do we do in those instances? And on every other day of the week? Coffee. Red Roca coffee. It helps you and me as we're awakening in the morning. My favorite brew is Heathens or Good Mojo. And sometimes I like it hot. In the summertime, every once in a while, I'll drink it cold. Red Roca coffee is a small family-owned business here in the United States. If you need a cup of joe to help you awaken, give Red Roca coffee a try. We're sure you'll like it. We're sure you'll like it. That's Red Roca, R-O-C-A, coffee.com. When you place your order, put in the code AWAKE. A-W-A-K-E. You'll get a 10% discount, and you'll get free shipping on orders over $30. Check out Red Roca Coffee today. Again, Red Roca Coffee. For those times when you need help awakening. So, Corey, what, what do you think the most common reason is for people failing or giving up? And it, it can be in running, it can be just in life in general. Well, I think I think most of the time giving up is that I'm thinking specifically of the running stuff right now, but I'm sure it applies to other areas. Giving up is just the, the easy way and uh, when you're when you're really up against a wall and it's really hard, it's it's hard to just take that next step and <laughs> be willing to embrace the suffering. It's just easier to, to not. I, I have seen so, so many times over the years doing this running stuff, the people who push through that and keep going, they feel, they feel proud of themselves. They feel like they accomplished something. They worked hard. The people who listen to that voice that says to quit, those are the ones who have regrets and, and wish that they had kept going and feel like there's, there's unfinished business. So I've never, I've never met anyone who decided to keep going and, and finish a race and, and regretted it. No regrets. That's the tattoo I'm going to get. I'm going to get that on my shoulder. Uh, no regrets. Explain. Well, the, it's spelled yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's spelled wrong. No regrets. So R-A-G-R-E-T-S instead of regrets. Okay. And so by having, having no regrets tattooed on my arm, which... It was in the movie. What was the movie, uh, Mikkel? Um, I don't know. It was it was the a bunch of strangers pretending they were family and going across the country in a in a in a camper or something. But in the in the movie, this kid's got this tattoo on his chest that says "No Regrets." And what I love is the irony. So if you intentionally put "No Regrets" on your arm, it's spelled wrong. And so every time you get out of the shower in the morning and you look in the mirror 
and you realize this tattoo spelled wrong, you can't regret the fact that it's not right. Like something, there's always going to be things in your past that aren't right. There's going to be things that are metaphorically not spelled right. And to look in the mirror and say like, I'm not going to have any regrets. Like that kid accidentally got his tattoo spelled wrong. And now he actually has to live with the mantra of not having any regrets. I I just, I think there's a lot of power kind of in, in that, in that concept. And you getting a tattoo like that is almost like accepting and embracing that everything's not always perfect. I'm not going to live in a, in a space where I have to, we've all made mistakes. We've all done things wrong. And, and yet doing those things wrong has led us to where we are today. I just, I'm not going to live in a world where I look in the past at my mistakes and continually wonder like, oh, what if I had done this? Or what if I had done that? Or I wish I hadn't done this. I just don't think that's helpful. Uh, I, I think it's good to look back and go like, oh, I'm glad I learned this. I'm glad that it, it came back to this space. I'm glad that uh, I am who I am because of those things. I just don't think it does any good to dwell on our mistakes in negative ways. We talked about this last night, Corey, um, with you and Mel, before Bill and Amanda had come over. We were talking about kids and how rough they are sometimes and how like the mistakes that we've made. And, and, you know, I know that Kelsey and I have talked about this with Bill and Amanda as well. Like, we're all doing the best that we can until we know something different, and then we do better. And sometimes sometimes that better looks fucking amazing, and sometimes it looks super shitty. Yep. It, it, yep. And we were saying, Mikkel, too, that, like, you look back at your childhood, and you, you have some dysfunction with your mom and dad. And there's always this hurt we carry about about things our parents missed the boat on or things our grandparents mm-hmm. didn't spend the right amount of time with us or whatever all of that past history is. And yet, as, as you're saying, all of us, your parents included, my parents included, Corey's parents included, all of our, our friends, all of our the people we didn't get along with, like we're all just doing the best we can. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because when I when I accepted that concept that everybody's just doing the best that they can, it allowed me to release um, all of the blame that I wanted to place on my parents. You know, I could have blamed them for a lot of things. Um, but in doing that, it, it almost freed me in a way. Um, it, it made things better. It, it's been really nice to just know that they did the best that they can. Yeah, sometimes it was really shitty, but it, that was their best. Can, can I ask you about your dad, Corey? Yeah, sure. So you said your you said your dad took his life and and maybe it's that same idea like he was doing the best that he could. Whatever whatever his experience was, it brought him to that moment and he was doing the best he could and yeah, I I I'd love to know like how you process that when it happened and I'd love to know maybe now that you're where you're at today, you look back at that like what are your what are your thoughts about that entire situation? I think that's really where the idea of people doing the best they can solidified itself for me. So he was, he was going through marriage stuff with my mom and, and my mom had moved out. And so that was, that was difficult for him. I know that was a big challenge. And then he also had a lot of health issues. He, um, he was, he was diabetic. He had this ulcer in his foot and they were talking about, they were talking about maybe amputating it and then maybe having to amputate the other foot. He was, he was in constant pain just all the time, day and night. And, and, and I think that he just eventually got to a point where it was too much. And so he took his life and looking at it then, I mean, I was, how old were you? I was 14. And so at that time, 
I just felt so sad that he was gone, of course, but I, I never, I never blamed him because I could see, I could see where he was coming from. I heard, I heard him crying at night out of pain and I saw, I saw how much, how much he was hurting. So I, I just never felt judgment or anger against what he did because I could understand where he was coming from. I didn't like it. It hurt. It was hard, but I could understand it. So yeah, I think, I think he probably was doing the best he could. And, and I know that sometimes people get to a point where that, that just, that mindset takes such a strong hold of them that they, they feel like that really is the only solution. I, I see that now. And so I, I can understand it. Not, I don't like it, but I, I totally understand it. And not that I would ever want to go through that or recommend people go through that, but it really, I think, shaped a lot of who I became. It, it showed me that I can get through hard things and it, it made me stronger. And, um, like I mentioned, I think I, I feel a lot of compassion for people. So it, it shaped a lot of who I became, I think. I've got another question, but I, I wanted to give you a chance, Mikel, if you had anything. No, I just, I just can't even imagine um, what it must have been like to, to experience that and to see um, how you've processed and come out on the other side to me is, is amazing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And, and I, I like that you see positive qualities in yourself that maybe started, they're kind of rooted in that experience when you're a kid and something traumatic. I think it's impossible to get out of this life without being traumatized. I think to, to receive trauma is to be a human being. And, and to take that trauma and to find positives in it, I think really is the best that we can do with the bad things that happen to us. Yeah, totally, totally. Like, that's my little story. That's my little trauma. But everyone has their story. Everyone has their trauma. You're, you're exactly right. And so I think we have a choice to let that trauma that everyone has um, destroy us, bring us down, or we can choose to say, okay, this really, really sucked. How can I use it to my advantage? How can I grow from this? What, what can I learn from it? We all have our stuff. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier the two books, and I remember one of them you said was The Untethered Soul. I think that's Michael Singer, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. Yep, that's right. Um, very popular book. It's a book that I've heard mentioned numerous times. I've not read it myself, but now you've said it, so now I'm going to add it to Audible today. Maybe talk for a moment about that book, and then what was the other one? Um, the Power of Now. The Power of Now. And do you Eckhart who- Tolle. Okay, yeah. And, and I've read Eckhart's uh, A New Earth, yep. listened to his podcast with Oprah yeah. uh, on his book, and love his work. Maybe talk about those two books and the the impact that they had or what you really loved about those two that kind of struck you. The Power of Now is what introduced me to the idea of just how often we we get we, – our minds just naturally wander off of something from the present. Because – I think it happens all the time with everyone. And I just, I just never really thought about why that was problematic. Um, it just never occurred to me. I, I had never even thought about why that, why that might be a bad thing and why it would be important to stay in the present. I, so, so reading that book was like, Holy cow, that's, that's crazy. I, I have a problem with this. And um, so that helped me to just recognize, okay, there is this issue here, and here are some things I can do to work on it. The Untethered Soul, he talks about the voice in our head that's just chattering nonstop, and uh, it, it 
doesn't shut up. It, it's <laughs> self-critical. It, it, and and he's he just talked about how that voice is not who you are. That's just this voice. He said to think of it like an annoying roommate that just does not shut up. And and I thought about, oh, my gosh, I, I have that roommate, the, the roommate that's always talking, always always judging myself, always worrying about the future or past and and not staying present. So so both of those focus on that idea of just being present right now and and taking advantage of the time because you like you mentioned, you have no idea what's gonna happen in the future. You you can't even plan for what's gonna happen. I mean it's it's good to have some ideas, but it getting stuck in that is is wasting right now. So those two books really opened my eyes on that topic. I loved what Bill said last night when he was like, you know, you could think of a million different possibilities, none of which are likely to ever happen. I find that in my worrying stages, that's what I do. I think of every possible scenario, every possible situation. You know, I think of the 5,000 ways it could go. And it was so, so interesting because it, it, like Bill said, it, it hardly ever happens. And I have found for myself when I can stay present, um, my stress level decreases drastically. It could be really easy for me to stress out and worry about what's going to happen tomorrow and all the, all the things that I have to do and all the possible things that could happen in, in those moments. But if I just stay present, it, I can breathe. I don't feel anxious. I don't feel stressed. I like, it's it's much easier for me to be happy and to feel happy rather than all the stress. I, I really liked, I've, I've read The Untethered Soul and I liked how he mentions just seeing your thoughts go by like a car instead of like letting that car park in front of you, just watch it drive by. You don't have to attach anything or hang on to it, just see it drive by. It's such a good book. Yes. And, and if you're if you're off worried about, everything that's going to happen. And again, those moments never happen exactly the way you're planning or worrying about them. You're actually missing the one moment that is happening. Right. Right. Like you're so worried about moments that never will happen. You're missing the moment that is happening right in front of you. Yeah. Um, I, I just find like last night we're sitting at your house, we're sitting on the couch and we're just all cuddled together and we're telling jokes and we're laughing and we've got arms around each other and we're just like, there wasn't any deep conversation necessarily. It was just being present. And it was like the, the most satisfying experience. Like whenever I have those experiences where a group of us are just close and being present and having some good laughs, those are the best moments on the planet for me. And the secret is the present. The secret is being right there, right then enjoying um, you were holding my hand, Mikkel. I had my arm around Paul, and uh, and it was just you know Kelsey was making contact with me. Uh, Corey was right next to you, and so I was touching him a little bit on his shoulder, and it was just like wow, like these are good people. I'm enjoying the intimacy of this experience. I'm enjoying the the present. I'm enjoying the laughs. It was just the funnest thing, and I, that's the thing I want to do every day. And really, nothing got accomplished. Nothing happened. It was just well, good people enjoying a present moment. I, I got a good ab workout from laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, my stomach is sore right now. I noticed that just as you said that. Like my gut is, my gut has a sensation to it that it says it, it was overworked last night. And it was crazy because we weren't 
talking about anything really. And I'm sure thinking back on it today, like the stuff we were saying really wasn't that funny, but last night it was. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a friend, we'll have him on at some point, but Chris Bloxham. And when Chris and I first met, Chris was so interested, and me too, by the way, we were both just so interested in meeting people and talking about deep subjects and examining history or examining existential questions. And that lasted for a while. And then I just, I just noticed one day and I said to him, I said, you know, you notice that we're not having those deep conversations anymore, like once in a while, and they're great, but that's not what we're craving. We're just craving the, the human connection and the being present. And, and those deep conversations seem to drift off because I think they distract us from the present moment. When you're in your head thinking through deep stuff, you're sometimes struggling to be right there, right in that moment. Right. And, and so those things tend to not be as interesting as they used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any good insight. Just, okay. I agree. <laughs> any um, thoughts from you, Corey? Well, what, like for the for the listener, what what has helped to to get to that point of, of staying present like what what are some takeaways? I know a couple of days ago when I was talking to Mel, she she had that aha moment of oh yeah I'm I'm like getting sidetracked. I just need to stay present. And she she said okay what I'm gonna do I'm gonna make a couple of signs and I'm just gonna tape them like on the fridge or on the bathroom mirror to just remind myself to to stay present. What what works for you guys to help pull you back there? So for me, it's Kelsey. She is really good at staying in the present moment and not worrying about yesterday or thinking about tomorrow. And so she'll often remind me, just be like, hey, babe, just be here. Just be like, just focus on this. Um, and she, she'll she tell me um, everything always works out. So in those moments when I'm, when I'm having a hard time staying present or I'm feeling a lot of stress, communicating with her um and, and just verbalizing it, sometimes just getting it out for me will help. And then her reminder, like everything, everything always works out. And whatever that looks like, I have no control over except how I'm choosing to respond to it. And so just let go, just let go of the expectation and, and the worry. And, and then again, I just have to remind myself in those moments, just make a choice. What am I going to choose right now? So that's what I do. The the secret to me, and it maybe happened somewhere between maybe a year and a half to three years ago, is I just became aware of what it meant to be present and what it meant not to be present. And, and so all of a sudden, it was like, it's almost like you could step outside yourself and you could look at a situation and you could say like, oh, I'm not being present right now. And, and I just constantly, when you're aware of it, then I would step in and start to constantly remind myself. And my, and my mantra is, I'm right here, right now. And, and when I say those words, it just sinks me right back into enjoying the situation for what it is and letting go of all the stories that are attached to it. Um, it, it has come somewhat natural, but it, I'm 40 years old and I've been deconstructing stuff for eight to 10 years now. And there just became a point a year and a half ago to three years ago. And again, I think a big part of it is hanging around other people who are also leaning into and talking about and reading things and thinking about and wrestling with the lesbians, idea of right? being present. Well, yeah, it starts with uh, it starts with a pair of lesbians, right? <laughs> what, how... does, is a pair of lesbians four? No. Okay. Okay. Just a pair. Okay. So two. 
<laughs> it's, it's how it's how every good relationship should start with a pair of lesbians. With with, le- with a pair of lesbians. Lesbian friends. Um, it's I I'm an advocate. You know I'm I'm a big uh, I I definitely want to vote for that one. Everybody should have a pair of lesbian friends, which is two. Michaela, I think what you said about having Kelsey um, pointed out to you, I think that's a great tool. Like it's, that's a conversation that me and Mel have had. Like okay, if you if you see me wallowing in this stuff or like getting sidetracked on something that's not important, I'm open to you pointing it out. I want, I want you to point it out if you see it, because sometimes I don't see it in myself. Right. And, and she said the same. So if you can have that conversation with someone that is working on it as well and, and can be open to it being pointed out when someone notices it, I think that's a great strategy. Yeah. And, and I noticed last night, you two, that, we talk about gossip and it's as a binding mechanism in a society. But if we notice for a moment, anytime we're gossiping, we're also in the past or the future, right? Sure. Like we're telling a story about how somebody did something before or how you heard that they that something's going to happen in the future because of what they did in the past. Like gossip stops you from being present. And so I notice sometimes like if me and my wife are talking and all of a sudden I sense the conversation starts to go off in that direction – I'll tell. I'll look at my wife and say, "I think we're just we're just telling stories. Like those are just stories. Like let's just be here, right mm-hmm. here, right now, and let's not worry about what's going on that we don't see. Let's not worry about what happened in the past. Like let's let's let the stories go. And again, I think just again, I think it just leads you to being present, which allows you to take advantage of every moment as it's right there in front of you. Yeah, I agree. Um, what else? What other areas we want to cover? Yeah, I just wanted to ask Corey, um, what what's something that you're curious about right now? Like, what what interests you? Where where are you headed? What's new? Gosh, you, you ask tricky questions. Um, okay, this you mentioned being weird. I, I have this goal this year to read or listen to a hundred books, and I think I'm at eighty right now. I listened Dude, that's to. That's awesome. I know. I'm I'm loving it. One of the books that I listened to a while ago was called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, I think is what it's called, by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I I understood maybe like 4% of the book. But it was so fascinating to me just um, with him talking about the universe and how things are formed and all all of that kind of stuff. And I just was so interested in that. And then um, that led to a couple books by Stephen Hawking, but just his take on all of that astrophysics stuff. I just am so interested i'm so amazed that there are people that smart that can figure stuff out so i've just been watching youtube videos and netflix stuff about um the universe and stars and planets and that's that's something that i've I've been interested in super nerdy but it's interesting to me that's cool the the rumor on the street is you're a flat earther (laughs) is that the rumor going around that's the rumor yeah i i will neither confirm nor deny that rumor (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I assume you're not a flat I, I I am not, no. Okay. okay. I, I just, I know you well enough and I know what experiences you share with the experiences that Mikel and I have had in deconstructing systems. And I just, I didn't think you were a flat earther. No, no, no. <laughs> what, what is something you used to believe? And, and again, I don't necessarily want to talk religious stuff, maybe just whether it's politics, whether it's... Uh, just a, a view you had on a social issue. What is something you used to believe strongly that this awakening process has moved you to something very different? I think the 
biggest thing. So over the last year and a half, my wife and I have chose to leave the Mormon church. And so I think one of the big shifts that's happened is I felt like I, I had a, I had the answers. I knew what I needed to do. I knew, I knew what, I mean, I knew I had all the answers for everything. I, I knew what was going to happen if I did the right things. I, I knew, I knew what to do. And, um, now I feel like I, I have no answers. I don't know what, I don't know what I believe at this point. I don't, I don't have any answers and I love it. I love the exploration of, um, finding my own truths and, and what works for me. And before I think I would have felt like not having the answers would have been so scary, so uncomfortable. I, I would have, the idea would have frightened me. But now that I'm in that where I feel like I, I have no answers. I don't, I don't know anything. I, I like it. I, I like the, that, that freedom to, to find my own truths. So that's one of the things that I, I believed so firmly that, that I had all the right answers. I, I knew I knew what to do, and now I don't know anything, and it's actually okay. And you're still somehow an amazing and awesome human being. <laughs> well, so you're saying that religion doesn't make people awesome human beings? I'm saying that there are awesome people in and outside of religion, so... For, I think that you brought up a really good point. You know, one of the things that I really loved too was certainty and having all the answers. And there, there are certain aspects where um, I like not having the answers, and then there are others that totally piss me off, like we talked about last night. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, and you named it. You're both kind of hitting at it in that first half of life. Not only do you have all the answers, and you have this certainty, and that certainty is what gives you your peace and comfort. But you're also aware that like, oh, if I, if I were to be disrupted in that, everything that's good in my life might disappear. And that's super scary. Like, I need to have the certainty. I don't want to, like, there's a lot of risk in even thinking about what it would mean to let that go. And, and, then, and then you also seem to have this judgment at times for others who are on the other side of that. And you're like, oh, you know, that can't be real happiness or that can't be, it's, it's got to be really hard for them. And the reality is that when you really do deconstruct it and let it go and you let go of all your certainty and you move into spaces where the questions themselves become beautiful and you don't need the answer or you're okay with like 10 different people in a room having different answers, it really, it, it wasn't really anything to be scared of in the first place, was it? It Bill, wasn't. You, I mean, that's like a journal entry of mine right there. That, <laughs> that describes how I felt exactly. I was so, so scared to move in a different direction and i mean th that was all that i had ever known and i remember that the night that we decided okay we're we're gonna choose to leave i i just after mel went to bed i just laid in my bed and cried like oh my gosh my life is never going to be the same i i'm abandoning the beliefs that i've had my whole life and it was it was so scary so hard and it has just been a really eye-opening and freeing experience and and the fears that I had didn't didn't need to be there. I, I think what it comes down to in those moments where we're scared is is that we're we're really focused on what we're losing. Yeah. We're, we're focused on like I'm gonna lose my community, I'm gonna lose my beliefs, I'm gonna lose 
uh, some of my relationships with, with loved ones, I'm going to lose something, but we don't have any clue what we're going to gain. Like we don't even know what's in front of us. It, something comes back, some things come back and then new things come in and we don't even know that those things are going to happen. And so I just find like, if I let go of the fear of, of what it is I'm leaving behind and just grasp onto the fact that, you know, good things are going to come from this too. I, I don't know. That seems to be helpful for me. I agree. Me too. Let, let me ask this kind of maybe as a as a as we work towards a conclusion here for this conversation, Corey. Uh, you're, so there are the listeners, the the people that are listening to this episode. A lot of them aren't even interested in running. Hopefully, they also sense that in talking about running, we're talking about life. I think that was apparent. And you've offered like, how do we push through walls and how do we stay present? But maybe your advice for listeners. Uh, if they're on the front end of this awakening process and they're they're beginning to like think about what it means to deconstruct systems and to be present and to recognize ego, your advice towards listeners as they're in this process, like what's because you don't know it on the front end, you don't know what works and what doesn't work, and you're learning all of this stuff for the first time. Any advice from you on helping people to lean into to waking up? My advice, just based on my my experience with the the transition that we've gone through with faith stuff, is take some time, take it take it easy. Don't let it overwhelm you. It's it's easy to just kind of get overwhelmed when you when you maybe start to question things a little bit, and sometimes you you fall in that rabbit hole and just keep falling and falling and falling and learning more and more and um, it can be overwhelming. So I would say just kind of take it easy. The, um, the other thing that I think is so important is to find safe people to talk to. It's really, um, it can be really lonely to be in that point of questioning what you do and don't believe and what direction that you're going to go. That's a really hard, lonely point. And so I think it's so important to find people that you can trust and, that you can open up to. Um, you guys have been such a huge resource and support for us. We love you guys. And so, yeah, I think it's just so, so critical to find that safe person that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of and just have someone that you, you can release that energy and emotion to. Yeah. So safe spaces and take your time. I think those are great, great pieces of advice. Uh, Cause there is, there's so there's, you're, you're questioning so many things that, it can be overwhelming, and uh, and yet the process will resolve itself. It may take, for some people, it takes you know months. For other people, it takes years. But on the other end of it, like, yeah, I'm just grateful that I took the time that I did. Um, and and like you, I'm grateful for friends like you and Mikkel and and others in our group who are just safe spaces to to be yourself around. Good stuff. Um, what's your next thing as far as running? Do you have a Do you have another thing you're going to do here soon that you're going to tackle? I don't have anything I'm signed up for right now. Me and Mel may go may go back to Wisconsin to do this race. Actually, we are signed up for we're signed up for another long one in Tennessee, but we we're, we're kind of on the fence about whether we're going to do it. So we'll see. Nothing nothing major at the moment. I'm just kind of taking it easy, letting my blisters heal. You guys are rock stars, man. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, I, I think running is a lot like life. And I think you've got a lot of things you've learned doing that you've shared today that 
that point to that, point to running for you and running for others being being kind of uh, symbolic of, of the challenges and stuff that we get in life. Because we do, we carry some blisters with us for a while uh, from the trauma and from the other things that happen in this world. And, and I just think that there's lots of lessons to be learned. I think this was fun. For me and Mikkel, I think having different people on and whatever their thing is, your thing's running. And I think we all can learn things from what other, you know, what other people's experiences are. And uh, I don't run. And, and yet some of the things you've learned from that have been helpful, I think, to me in, in these conversations that we're having. I thought, uh, and it can, oh, yeah, I, I thought that um, this show was about white patriarchy and how it feels to wear the shoes that you get to wear. So this, right, this was so fascinating for me to get that perspective. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, you're white too, Mikkel. I am white, but I'm lesbian. <laughs> okay, so you're half privileged. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My shoes aren't as cushy as yours, but yeah. <laughs> a good pair of shoes, a good pair of shoes is important, uh, both for running uh, as well as uh, for life. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's it. That's the advice. That's what people are going to get out of this. You know, I listened to Almost Awake in this morning. I'm going to go out to uh, Skechers and get myself a nice pair of shoes. Should, should we close it out? Let's do it. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.